You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now. So get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 12, Power of the Daleks Story Review. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my companion on this podcasting adventure through time and space, we have Paul Gann. You are my servant. Maybe not so (laughs) You guys will understand what that means in a minute. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. That's part of this review. Um, So, we're a little bit late this week. Unforeseen events happened. But, hey, we're here. We're recording. So, that's the important thing. We do have an awesome story review to get to. But, before we get there, there was a a rumor and a little bit of news that were interesting enough that we wanted to talk about. So, uh, before we jump into our review, let's do that. The rumor is that... Tom Baker, of course, the fourth Doctor, one of the most beloved Doctors of all time. I have his scarf, and I love him. He's my favorite. The rumor is is that Tom Baker is going to be in some sort of Star Wars project. Uh, He was at a signing and told the people that were assembled to get his autograph, I'm going to be in this new Star Wars thing, you know. I'm going to go down and record some voices for this new character they've created for me very soon, is the quote that uh, this website, StarWarsUnderworld.com, has. And uh, if you're curious about (laughs) this, we link to it on our Facebook page. But since Star Wars and Doctor Who is both the two favorite things for both of your (laughs) hosts here, both myself and Paul, Star Wars being our favorite movies... Doctor Who being our favorite TV, this is just like the coolest, awesomest, most amazing thing ever. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> should this be true? Uh, now, it does not say which Star Wars project this is for. Uh, it could be for Star Wars Episode Seven. He could be voicing a an animated, uh, computer-generated character. Uh, that's possible. It could be for the, uh, the Star Wars... Television animated television show Star Wars Rebels, or it could be some for a video game, or or it could be for Rogue One. It could be for the the Rogue One movie. Who knows? It could be anything. And with the way Star Wars is, you know, going to be pumping out film and television 
uh, for the next several years, uh, we have no idea. But <laughs> should this be true, when we find out, you guys will know because Dude. we will not be able to stop talking about it. <laughs> Dude, I read this and I squeed like a little girl. I swear I did. It was like, <laughs> ah, yes, 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 you know. Oh, it was so cool. Oh, my goodness. Yes, <laughs> it, it's amazing. Um, of course, Tom Baker is not the first actor to be in both Star Wars and Doctor Who. Um, actors such as Jeremy Bullock, David Prowse, Brian Blessed, Peter Cushing, David Tennant even. Tennant voiced a character on The Clone Wars um, yes. as, uh, as well as several others have been on both uh, Doctor Who and Star Wars, primarily because the original trilogy was filmed in London. And so there's a lot of the same actors that were working on both uh, Star Wars and Doctor Who at the same time. Actually, Julian Glover, who plays General Veers in The Empire Strikes Back, and was also in a Doctor Who episode around the same time where he faced off against uh, Tom Baker called... Uh, oh, goodness. Oh, my gosh. I can see the DVD cover. I've watched this episode. Uh, he played Count Scarleone, I believe is the character's name. And I'm blanking on the name of the story arc, which is going to kill me. But <laughs> he was also in Indiana Jones, too. So that makes him kind of the awesomest person ever. Uh, but... <laughs> We won't. We, we'll, we'll leave that for another, you know, actors who have bridged both series. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about that on its own episode at some point. <laughs> uh, just throwing this out there, I mean, it really doesn't have anything to do with Star Wars or Doctor Who, but Tom Baker was actually uh, in the Dungeons and Dragons movie uh, that came out. It had uh, Jeremy Irons in it. Really? Uh, yeah. When, when was that? He played an elf uh, uh, medicine man, I think, uh, back in the 90s, I think. Either the 90s or the, early, the late 90s or early 2000s. And uh, it, it might have been in the early 2000s. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, he, he was in that. And uh, when I first was watching it, I didn't realize that it was him because he didn't have the curly brown hair and and everything he had like short white hair you know but then i went back and watched it again and i was like dude i know who that is you know? <laughs> <laughs> because you know he, he has changed slightly in appearance since he played the doctor you know oh, well you know, um, everyone ages um, and uh but then you know the the voice was so familiar to me and i was like I know that voice. Where have I heard that voice before? And then when I went back and watched it later, I, I suddenly realized who it was. And it, you know, that his voice is so iconic. Distinctive. Point, you know, yeah, he has a very distinct voice. He, you know, once you've heard him speak, you, you can, you can pick up his voice somewhere else, you know, um, a little bit and, like the, uh, the late great Sir Christopher Lee in that. Regard. Yes, Exactly. So. Exactly, uh, and wow. I think that that is one of the reasons why some of these uh, actors uh, are so easily remembered is because of those types of things. 
Well, we, we will get talk more about Tom Baker as we work our way through our Dalek story reviews. <laughs> uh, but before we jump into this episode's story review, we have one bit of news that I found utterly fascinating. Uh, I know some people are a little concerned about it, but Peter Capaldi is getting ready to star in his own single actor episode of Doctor Who later this season. There, he will be the only actor according to the article on cultbox.co.uk, it will be the first episode of season nine's two-part finale. So that sounds cool, but the idea that we're getting an episode that's basically going to be a a one-man play Mm-hmm. really fascinates me. And I'm really excited about this because I think Peter Capaldi is a strong enough actor to be able to hold one, someone's attention for an entire episode by himself. He's interesting enough to look at, he's interesting enough to listen to, and his presence on screen is such that I think he'll be able to hold an entire episode on his own. Of course, the TARDIS will be there, is in is my guess, and we know the TARDIS is essentially its own character, so maybe technically he's the only character in the episode, but there will probably be two. Uh, uh, you know, this makes me think about uh, the the uh, episodes uh, in seasons past where the Doctor was carrying around the head of the Cyberman. Mm. Uh, do you remember what he named it? I can't remember what he Handles. named it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I wonder if we will see that come back in this episode. <laughs> because that would be sort of the same thing that you've got with um, a Castaway, where he's talking to the volleyball. You know. We will see. Um, there's a well, you kind of... of need somebody for the character to play off of, even if it's not an actual person. Right. Right. I'll be really interested to see how this fits in the greater idea of a two-part story arc, because that's even more fascinating, because it's going to be a a lead-in to something else. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be just sort of a standalone, let's let's try this experiment out. It's going to be, no, this is the first part of a two-parter, and I'm really curious to see how that is going to work. There's something else that they could technically do with this, too, and I don't know if this would mess up the whole single actor episode definition or not but you know it makes me think about the uh the trailer with uh Maisie Williams and you know if if he did this entire episode all by himself and then you get to the very last like five seconds of this thing before the credits roll and then suddenly Maisie Williams shows up and takes this mask off and then (laughs) says that line that she said that would be a really interesting way to end that that episode if you know what I'm saying it uh, would be interesting. <laughs> um, I don't think that'll happen. I, because that, you know, if this report is correct, uh, the single actor episode is going to be taking place at the end of the season. And mm-hmm. it looks like there's going to be a couple of episodes throughout the season that Maisie Williams' character is going to show up in. So, which is really cool. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a second trailer out there, which I highly recommend everybody go check out. By the way, did you, did, have you, you've seen the second trailer, correct? Actually, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. <gasps> I know it's sacrilegious. No, you should. No, you, sh- no, you should because there is a shot in there of a. It looks kind of like this empty warehouse 
with a bunch of Daleks in it. There's like the, the mm-hmm. Dalek Supreme, the red Dalek Supreme that we got uh, from David Tennant's era is sitting in the center of this room. And the one that we up, were talking about before. I, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, and then milling about around the room, around the, the little dais that the Dalek Supreme is standing on, is Daleks from just about every time period that we've seen Daleks in Doctor Who. There's two Daleks from the 1963 oh, Daleks. There's the Devastator Dalek from uh, Sylvester McCoy's Dalek episode that we'll get to. There's the black ones with the with the blue eye stalk from Tom mm-hmm. Baker's run. Or, or the dark gray ones, I should say. There's the, the bronze plated ones from the new series. There's all these different Daleks in it, and I'm really interested to see what the heck is going on. It, it, it sounds like to me that they're going to use that as a way to be able to tie some of these stories together in such a way so that they can say, we're going to explain a little bit to you of how some of these storylines don't exactly sync up in the way that you've seen them in the past. You know, it's possible. The, you know, or maybe somebody is snatching Daleks out of time and plunking them here for whatever reason. Now that that could work, too. Maybe the Doctor is uh, doing it in order to wipe them out for good. But if you have, if you have all those different versions, it, it almost sounds like to me that they're finding a way to intersect a lot of those past experiences in some way. We will have to see. Which I would really like to see that. We'll have to see. There's... Also, we didn't originally set out to talk about this, the trailer here, but um, <laughs> Maisie Williams is traveling with this alien that sort of looks a little bit lionish, like mm-hmm. like a, a bipedal human lion thing, right? Um, which is interesting because Romana, uh, back in the classic series with Tom Baker, leaves the TARDIS. With and I'm blanking on the species name, leaves to stay in E space with a, a race of, of of individuals that can basically run across time streams, and they're lion people. Hmm. Uh, now, <laughs> now this lion we also saw breathe fire at one point in the trailer too. So I don't know if it's the same species at all, but it does make one pause. And it and I know how much you want Maisie Williams to be Romana, <laughs> and you do. want Romana to come back. But I do. <laughs> but I figured that would just fuel your fire. Uh, so that now, so cool. So now, <laughs> a- after we record, you're going to have to go watch this, um, dude. <laughs> so but, I actually saw a couple of of clips from it, but I didn't see the whole thing. Okay. So. Okay. But. But we're, we're not going to do a second trailer breakdown, at least not on this episode, uh, because we do have a story review to get to, and we don't want to take up too much of your time. This is the story review for the episode Power of the Daleks, which takes place as the third, I believe, the third storyline of season four, and was aired on the 5th of November through the, through the 10th of December, 1966, uh, in six weekly episodes. Uh, this is the first episode with the second Doctor, 
And before we jump into the review itself, we do want to let you know that the TARDIS has, of course, changed again. The crew of the TARDIS has changed again from the last time we talked about uh, the Daleks. Uh, Steven is gone. He's actually ended up staying on a planet to rule as its leader, um, which is not a bad gig for a Doctor Who companion, considering how the last time we talked uh, Daleks, we had two companions that died. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> fun is not the word I would choose. Um, not for them, but you know. <laughs> but at this point in time, the doctor is traveling with a pair of, of individuals known as Ben and Polly. Ben is, I believe he's a, uh, a British sailor who um, got involved with the doctor. Both he and Polly, who's a, a secretary, was a secretary for a, uh, a computer company, uh, a computer research company. Uh, both got wrapped up with the doctor in a story arc called uh, The War Machines. Ben was supposed to ship out that day and he but did they, <laughs> but they'd stop to say hello to the doctor or goodbye to the doctor and ended up sneaking on board the TARDIS when they saw him go into the police box and wondered what the heck he was doing uh, and then he, oh, of course he, he took off he shipped out alright <laughs> he shipped out um, but the two of them are traveling with the doctor now and before we jump into the and before we get into specifics about the episode itself do you have any overall impressions of these two companions uh, that you wanted to talk about now, or did you want to save that for uh, the episode itself? I like Polly. <laughs> she she seems, you know, open to change. You know, she she seems open to whatever the doctor throws at her. You know, that, that's the impression I get from her. Ben seems a little bit... Close-minded, mm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, a uh, little wary. Yeah, he. It's like he he immediately thinks that everything is not what it appears to be, kind of thing. <laughs> you know. Well, when uh, you travel with the doctor long enough, that's not necessarily a bad <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he, he also seems a little stubborn too. Uh, at the same time, he is a sailor. A young, <laughs> a, a, a young, uh, impetuous uh, military man. So I guess you could take uh, Stephen and and uh, Ian and put both of them together and have his personality. Maybe you know. Maybe, um, I Almost, like both. I like both know. of them as as uh, characters. Since most of their episodes are missing, it's really hard to get like an overall impression of them. And so for that reason, I think, you know, some of the other companions that we, you know, like Barbara and Ian right. are, are definitely a lot more memorable since we have so much more of their episodes to view. Which is really unfortunate, on. you know? It is. Why don't we jump into, into this story arc? And of course, as with all of our classic story arcs, uh, or all of our story reviews probably, expect full spoilers. So we will put River Song right here. Thank you. 
Spoilers. I will say this. The name of this story arc is right spot on the nose. I mean, you guys will figure out exactly what I'm talking about here in a minute. Oh, yeah. You could not be more on the nose with the name of this story arc. Yes. Yes. Uh, the Power of the Daleks being the name of that. And I'm just going to read a brief synopsis and then we'll jump into the plot. Uh, the synopsis is as following. Following the Doctor's regeneration into a new, younger body, the TARDIS lands at an Earth colony on the planet Vulcan. <laughs> no, Spock was not seen. Live uh, long and prosper. Yes, Spock was not in this episode. Uh, in the far future. Mistaken for an official Earth examiner, the Doctor discovers that a scientist called Lesterson is attempting to reactivate two inanimate subservient Daleks found in a crashed space rocket. The colonists refuse to heed the Doctor's dire warnings that the Daleks are dangerous, and once reactivated, the Daleks secretly begin to reproduce themselves in a bid to seize control of the Earth colony. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we've done this before. Maybe. Alright. So, the first episode opens with the doctor in the midst of his regeneration and we get to see the completion of the regeneration mm -hmm. and as far as you know this being the first regeneration what, what did you think about it considering that it was such a big risk and such a big step in the direction that they decided to take the show it seemed very underplayed in the way that they that they portrayed it to me, because unlike uh, what you had with say like Christopher Eccleston or uh, Matt Smith uh, becoming the Doctor when the TARDIS exploded, it was very well. This is just another day, and you know this is just another regular situation, and you know the Doctor the Doctor acted like that he didn't even want to talk about it after it was over with, you know, it was like, okay, well, let's just move on about our regular business. And, you know, <laughs> right. Right. He had, he had one of those interesting moments, which this is interesting because, uh, he, you know, of course he finishes regenerating, he wakes up and then he starts holding his head because he's hearing this drumming in his head mm -hmm. as the regeneration sort of finalizes and everything. Right. Kind of interesting that they picked up on that for the master many, 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 right. many, many years later. I found that that was one of the most interesting things about it. Uh, and then just sort of the idea of how much of the regeneration, you know, the, the post-regeneration stuff that happens, how much of that was sort of set here. I was a little surprised about that because I kind of expected, you know, well, let's add a little bit of this and add a little bit of that as the doctor goes on, you know, as the show right. goes on. But, you know... He seems a little bit disoriented, obviously. He, you know, things take a minute for everything to settle down after the initial change. Uh, he's unsteady. He's getting reacquainted with everything. You know, it's... He doesn't talk about, you know, oh, new teeth. Uh, kidneys, I don't like the color. You know, he doesn't right. talk about that as much. He's like, oh, oh, you know, you know. Well, even it was even, you know, with Tom Baker, he's he's like, you know trying to figure out what he wants to wear and you know oh you don't like the viking outfit you know yeah. 
And I mean, it, it's just it, compared to some of the ones I've seen before it, to me, it felt rather underplayed because it was kind of like, well, I'm just going to take my cape off and, Oh, here's a coat. I think I'll put that coat on. And Oh, here's a funny hat. I think I'll put the funny hat on. And he, he never, he acts like it's just normal mundane everyday things that he's doing after this weird thing just happened to him. Right. You know, and, and, he he never even, you know, uh, never even really, almost at all acknowledges what happened. You know, his companions are talking about it, but he's just kind of walking around, picking stuff up, putting it in his pocket. You know, and oh, here's yep. a recorder. I think I'll play with the recorder for a minute. You know, yeah, and you know, just basically, it's almost like that he just decided to make a wardrobe change and then walked out the door kind of thing, you know? <laughs> right. Um, right. Now he's, which is interesting because he's never had a regeneration before. Right. You know, it's more like, Oh, well, this is interesting. <laughs> this is new. I don't want to talk about it. You know, although the, there was the, the neat thing where he's, you know, wants to see what he looks like. And so he grabs the right. mirror and he, you know, shoves it in Ben's hands has Ben hold it. And he looks in the mirror and, William Hartnell's face appears on the mirror for a moment and then it goes back to, you know, Patrick Troughton's. It was um, almost like he was remembering and then he suddenly realized that this is not what I look like anymore. But he, you know, like you said, he, he finds, you know, a knife that he sticks in his pocket. He finds uh, a rec the recorder, which he plays a lot uh, mm -hmm. in this episode, of this story arc. Um, he finds a diary that he gets to, you know, his 500 year diary that he's going through and looking at. And he's got this piece of metal that ends up in his pocket. And he looks at it and like, he's remembering something about it. And all he says about it is under his breath, he says exterminate under his breath. Right. And right. then he stuffs it in his pocket and forgets about it. You know, he's like, because I, I don't... It's, it's almost like that. He's, he's, that's the only thing that he can remember about it at that moment, you know. Yeah. yeah, he's got the Swiss cheese memory thing going on, right? As far as the regeneration was going, what did you think of you know the reactions? Polly, Polly is like, well, the doctor. It's got to be the doctor, you know. Yeah, are you all right? What's going on? <laughs> well, and... look, he's wearing the same pants, you know. <laughs> right, right. But Ben I mean, is they like, didn't, they didn't say that, but that's kind of you know, right? <laughs> he's but wearing ben... the same clothes, you know. Yeah. Ben is is really not sure what to do with this because it's yeah. a completely different person. He's got a completely different personality, completely different look. And he's talking about the doctor in the third person. He mm -hmm. doesn't say me. I'm the doctor. He just says the doctor, you know, Troughton doesn't he just says, Oh yes, the doctor did this. Or I remember when the doctor did that. And Ben is, is going, wait, are you sure you're the doctor? Who are you? <laughs> I don't trust you. And I mean, uh. I, if I'm, I if think, I'm remembering correctly, at one point they said something about him having a different face, and he he basically just says, "Oh, do I?" and just kept right on going with what he was, you know. <laughs> I mean, do I? nonchalantly, oh. you know. <laughs> it was like Ben kept saying stuff to him, and he would just, you know, make this little, you know, quip about it as as if he was saying, "Oh, really." I, I didn't notice, you know, all that kind of thing. And he just goes on about what he's doing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And one of the really, 
one of the things that really throws Ben for a loop is the Doctor's ring uh, that the first Doctor wore doesn't fit anymore. You know, it's com- right. doesn't fit. It's too big for him. So, uh, and so he's really the Doctor never took that off. He always wore that ring. It doesn't even fit you anymore. What's going on? So, and I think this is interesting because we've got the two sides of probably probably the audience's reaction to this. You know, the right. first time this has ever happened, we've got the one who wants to believe and wants to go. You are the doctor, right? I believe you're the doctor. What? what how do we do this? You know, what? Walk us through this process, doctor. And the other one who's like, no, 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 I'm not having any of this. You know. <laughs> Even back in the 60s, nobody liked it when the doctor changed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was a smart... We've never done it that way before. <laughs> right. So I think it was a smart idea to have the, you know, Polly and Ben react differently to this. Um, but uh, let's let's move on with the story. Uh, they have landed on the planet Vulcan, as was said in the the summary, and the Doctor walks out with this big, tall hat and and his really diary. Ugly, really ugly hat, you know. That's a, a really <laughs> weird hat. I'm glad he loses it later. Um, later on, not in this story. He still got it a couple episodes later. But he he's he walks out of the TARDIS, and Vulcan is this desolate. At least this area of Vulcan is desolate, and it's got a bunch of mercury pools and that sort of thing. But he's walking out of the TARDIS, reading his diary, going back over you know his diary and all this stuff, with his nose in the book, and he's just walking around. And apparently, uh, <laughs> and it's it's hard to tell from the uh, the reconstructions, but he, you know, walks is is walking as if he's about to walk into the mercury pool, and then manages to stop turn and walk around without ever looking down at the ground around him. He's just got his nose in the book the whole time. Um, That's very David Tennant-like, you know? <laughs> a bit. A bit. Uh, and then, of course, he tests out the new body well, when he comes Matt's across... Too, but, yeah. <laughs> he tests out the new body when he comes across this, this small boulder and he jumps up on it and or over it. And he's ended up ahead of, of Ben and Polly who... They get into trouble, of course. They've ended up near a, a geyser, a mercury geyser, and it's blown mercury in their face, and so they're getting, you know, gassed basically. And one, one of the reasons why they were so far behind him is because they were still so busy arguing about whether or not he was really the doctor. That they just he just walked off and left them. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, it's like a couple of kids, <laughs> right? But the doctor runs across somebody who's looking for help. Uh, you know, he's, you know, there's this man, he comes running up, he's like, help me, I need some help, I can't, where am I? Yeah. And I, I don't know where I am, help me I find this place, you know. Help me find this place, and he is just about to get to the doctor when the man gets shot in the back, and he falls down dead. The doctor's like, you know, of course the doctor goes to, you know, check on him, help, see if he, what he can do to help. He finds this badge on the, the man... For the uh, what's it called? Uh, the examiner. He's yeah. an examiner from Earth. He's a Earth examiner. Yes, uh, and he's here to check out the the Earth colony here on Vulcan. But as he's you know getting the badge and checking on the guy, he gets knocked out by somebody, 
who hits him over the head with a, a, a pistol. And uh, this murderer leaves a button in the doctor's hand and then disappears. The doctor, Ben, and Polly are all saved by a group of people from the the colony. The deputy governor, Quinn, and the head of security, Bregan, uh, and their men. Uh, so they're, they're rescued and taken back to the, the colony where the doctor pretends as if he is the examiner. Mm-hmm. He is going to assume the identity of the examiner to find out what's going on. He uh, allows them to believe it straight up. I mean, he just doesn't even try to change anybody's mind. Nope, nope. Ben is not very fond of this idea. <laughs> He's like, we really shouldn't get involved. Let's just leave. But the doctor's curious, of course. So, uh, If they um, were doing this now, they, he would have probably used a sonic paper. Right, uh, right. If, if they were... Not sonic it, paper, psychic paper, duh. The psychic, yeah, the psychic <laughs> paper. So, The reason why the examiner was sent for is unknown, because nobody knows who sent for the examiner yet. And so the doctor not only has to find out what's going on with you know the murdered examiner and why mm-hmm. they would murder him, but find out what purpose he was brought to you know, examine. Uh, but there seems to be plenty of different things that could be running amok. The governor uh, seems a bit sleazy, uh, a little bit uh, pompous and not really happy that the <laughs> examiner is there. There is a group of rebels on the planet that are trying to stir up trouble and maybe even overthrow the, the governor. And then there's Lesterson, who's mm-hmm. the scientist. And he's He found... has a definite character arc in this. Yes. Yes. And Lesterson has found a capsule that was buried in the Mercury swamps for hundreds of years... And he's trying to get it open and find out its secrets. And there's this metal that has fallen off of it that is non-corrosive, which just so happens to match the piece of metal that the doctor stuck in his pocket earlier, back on the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. A type Uh, of metal we've actually heard the name of before. hmm. And what is that (laughs) name? Dalekinium. (laughs) It's as if we're telegraphing what's to come. Um, okay, I'm going to say this. I have a theory here. It's it's the in-universe theory. Okay. Um, okay. And and you know, keep in mind that there's some things that are considered canon now that they hadn't even thought of back then. I mean, you know this, and I know this, but the listeners might not know this. I have a theory. You know how? Uh, did you ever watch uh, Quantum Leap? No, you did not. Okay, in Quantum Leap, he was traveling through time, but. Uh, he never knew where he was going to end up. He would always jump into another person's body. He would always tra- travel to another point in time, and he would be having to fix something that went wrong the first time mm-hmm. so that he could trans- transport into another time to try to see if he would end up back home again. Well, he found out later that apparently the reason why he was going through this was because God was using him to fix things that were broken in time to begin with. (laughs) And it was God that had put him on this mission to go from person to person to person in different points in time to fix all of these historical events that had gone wrong. See, my theory is because the doctor doesn't know where he's going, but he continues to keep 
ending up in all of these different situations where he's needed at specific points in time. I think the TARDIS knows what's happening in the time stream and deciding to take the Doctor to different points in time where he knows the Doctor's needed. Yes. And of course, you know, we, we, <laughs> we sort of get that uh, almost explicitly stated by the TARDIS herself uh, in, what is that episode called? The Doctor's Wife uh, mm-hmm. with Matt Smith where the TARDIS ends up in a, in a human body at one point. so Which is really weird. She's, <laughs> it's, it's a weird premise, but somehow works. She's, but, like his, she's like the Doctor's other wife. Yes. <laughs> yes. The Doctor has a really screwed up romantic <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. One, eh, never mind. Let's not get into that. So... Uh, let's go back to the story. The doctor is has met Lesterson and his assistant Janley, and she's she seems a little suspicious. Janley wants to have some sort of meeting in one of the Lesterson's rooms there at his at his laboratory, and he says yes, but you know, don't get into too much trouble, uh, that sort of thing. But the doctor goes to to Lesterson's lab to find out what the space capsule is. And Lester right. Sin shows him, and uh, they get the front door open, basically, and they go in to this, you know, uh, whole, you know, basically, you know, lobby area inside mm-hmm. the space capsule. Uh, but they'd have to try and get some of the other doors open, but none of them are open at this point. So the doctor goes, well, we'll come back later, and we'll come back in the morning. That's it, you know. Everything's done for tonight. Let's go home. Right. You know. But he wants to know what's going on. But he wants to know what's going on. So after, you know, after that night, he comes back and sneaks back into the capsule and uses the two pieces of metal, the one from his pocket and the one from Lesterson's lab, to open up a hidden compartment in the space capsule. Of course, you know, Ben and Polly follow him uh, mm-hmm. back to the lab after he told them not to come, because that's what the <laughs> companions do. Because that's what kids do, right? Right. <laughs> they go into the secret compartment, and there, under cobwebs and dust, sit two immobile, dormant Daleks. Yeah. And they find a spot where there should have been a third... You know, based on, you know, the dust in the floor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they don't know where it is. Now, correct me if they're... I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did they not see a Dalek outside of their shell at some point in this? Yes. Yes, a Dalek yes. mutant scurries across the floor into the corner under a something. I don't know. It's hard to tell exactly where it scurries to due to the... Uh, the photo snap reconstruction. They launch a search for this Dalek mutant, but Lesterson comes back uh, to his lab after the doctor and the companions were spotted by Lesterson's other assistant, Resno. Poor, and poor he Resno. Demands, yeah, what? <laughs> poor, poor Resno. Yeah, poor <laughs> Resno. And of course, Lesterson doesn't want them at all in the la- in the lab, you know, without him, 
and the Doctor demands to know what he did with the third Dalek, and Lesterson denies any knowledge of, of the third mm-hmm. Dalek, or even what the Daleks are. Lesterson has no intention of trying to cooperate with the Examiner, as he believes the Doctor to be, and you know wants them out of his lab. The Doctor wants the Daleks destroyed. They need to be melted down, or scrapped, or however you want to do it, just destroy them. And Lesterson uh, doesn't want to. Yeah, he, so he, I think he threat- says, I think he says, I don't care if you melt them down or melt them up or, you know, yeah. <laughs> just tear- get rid of them, you know. Yeah. I don't care if you tear them up or melt them down, up or down, I don't care, just get rid of them. You know, he's, <laughs> he gets very flustered about the whole thing. And then, of course, the doctor storms out of the lab. When I think Lester's- that is the point where the doctor reminded me the most of the first doctor was at that mm. point. But he he very quickly begins to diverge from that personality. Yeah. He he gets very uh, belligerent and very angry and very loud with Lesterson, which is definitely a first Doctor characteristic. And you Um, see much, you see a very, very much of a change in his personality right after his regeneration uh, towards, you know, from that point to the end of the the story arc, you see a big change in the way he acts. Mm Mm-hmm. The doctor is determined to get, you know, an order from the governor in order to have the Daleks destroyed. So after the doctor leaves, Lesterson, Resno, and Janley retrieve the missing Dalek from a secret compartment. Yeah. And Lesterson says, we need to do our experiments on bringing, on reviving this thing, on bringing it back to life, so to speak before the doctor can get his order before the examiner can get his order when so, when this story arc first started lesterson reminded me a whole lot of victor frankenstein you know <laughs> it it was like i'm going to do this i don't care what you say i think this is a good idea you know it doesn't matter what you think uh you know i know i can do this i have the ability i have the power to do this you're not going to tell me that i can't you know that's very much the way that Victor Frankenstein was at the beginning of the the story of Frankenstein. Uh, right. He he wasn't going to let somebody else tell him that this was a bad idea. He knew that he had the ability to do it, and because he had the ability to do it, he didn't care what anybody else thought. He was going to do it. Right. That is definitely definitely how Lesterson is behaving. The doctor wants an audience with the governor now, but Bragan, the security chief, says no. You can see him in the morning. And so escorts them back to their room and mentions to the doctor that he might want to investigate discreetly because uh, the director is, is, or the director, the governor is, is distracted with minor acts of sabotage being carried out by an underground uh, rebel movement. And to be careful about this. Ben and Polly want to immediately start figuring out what they're going to do next and find out how they're going to, to, you know, deal with all these situations. While the Doctor just seems to be, you know, spouting weirdness and nonsense. Uh, and then, you know, when they finally get frustrated with him for behaving so oddly, he cuts open a fruit in a fruit basket that uh, was left for them to find a bug planted in the middle of it. <laughs> a, a listening device, which he then destroys. And Ben's like, oh, so that's why you were talking nonsense. He says, what's I talking nonsense? <laughs> I never talk nonsense, you know. 
<laughs> the doctor was, I never talk nonsense, you know. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. So they're, they're trying to figure out what they want to do. Ben still wants to just go back to the TARDIS and leave. And the doctor says that, no, the Daleks are you know very powerful. They're very destructive. We need to stop this before they cause any damage here. You know, we need to stop them, make sure they're wiped out before any damage is done. The doctor is now decided he's not going to wait for the governor. He's going to contact Earth immediately. He's going to radio Earth immediately and heads off to the communication room. As the doctor is on his way to the communication room, Lesterson, Janley, and Resno are having some success with their reanimation project of this Dalek. Uh, they're, you know, trying different power levels to get it to charge and that sort of thing. And the sucker arm and the gun stock are able to start moving a little bit. And its eye stock is able to move. Mm -hmm. And the eye stock, uncomfortably, is not really letting Resno out of its sight. Yeah, it's following him like one of those weird paintings that you get from the Halloween store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The doctor gets to the communications room, but finds the communications equipment smashed. Oh, dear. The operator has been knocked out, and the wires have been cut. Uh, Quinn, the deputy governor, wants to talk to the doctor, but he's coming from out of the shadows there with a pair of pliers in his hand, and so Bregan arrives and immediately arrests Quinn on, you know, the accusation of sabotage and right. says that he right. must be one of the rebels. Oh, and then the doctor, of course, notices that Quinn has a button missing from the sleeve of his tunic. Yep. Which matches the button that the doctor was given. And so Quinn is taken away. Resno is getting a camera set up to film the next experiment for Lesterson. He's standing behind the camera. They power up the Dalek. And the Dalek, of course, poor, poor Resno. The Dalek shoots him. Janley goes over to, you know, check him out. You know, while Lesterson is shutting off all the switches, Janley goes over. So he's just been knocked out. It must not have been powered up enough. And so Lesterson says, okay, good. Well, then get him to the hospital. I'll, I will deal with the weapon here. And he, so he takes out the gun stock, the gun emplacement, while Jan Lee takes care of Resno. Well, this is the first time we've actually seen that removed from one of the Daleks. Yes. And so he's able to take the gun stock out. Oh, by the way, before their experiments really started, Jan Lee and Resno had had sort of a... Uh, a verbal sparring session mm -hmm. about uh, her seeming rebel sympathies, you know, right. her sympathies towards right. the rebel cause, right. and, you know, he being very much on the side of the governor. Uh, and so they had a little bit of a verbal sparring match over that. And so we are reminded a bit of the meeting that Janley wanted to have in one of the lab rooms. Is it just me, or are you catching some of these parallels and stuff that uh, some of these other you know shows have stolen from Doctor Who over the years? I mean, obviously, there's the blatant one of Vulcan, you know. 
Yes. And, and then, Although, then you have the Rebels versus the Governor, which is right there in the very first original Star Wars movie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> right. Um, well, the thing with Vulcan is, I believe there's either a star or a far-off planetary body that's been named Vulcan after one of the... I think it's a Roman god. Yeah, but um, still. So, I mean, <laughs> that, that's a name that can get around um, mm-hmm. without, you know, people saying, oh, you're ripping this off. Although it was made mm-hmm. most popular, of course, by Star Trek being the home world of Spock. But Doctor Who still did it first. Doctor Who did it first. <laughs> um, unknown to Lesterson, though, Resno is in fact dead. Janley is hiding that fact from him because that way they will be able to continue the experiments on the Daleks. Right. Because she uh, knows that if he knows he's dead, he will not continue uh, to pursue this. Right. Because unlike uh, her, he has a conscience. Yes, even though he's a bit... Frankenstonian? Yeah. <laughs> Eccentric. That was the word I was looking yeah. for. Well, I mean, that is that is where he does differ from Victor Frankenstein, is that he has much more of a conscience than Victor Frankenstein did. Victor Frankenstein had to learn to have a conscience, whereas this guy already had one. Yeah. And we'll get more into that later. But the governor, uh, you know, with the accusations of his lieutenant governor or deputy governor being a rebel spy and saboteur uh, has to have an immediate trial of of Quinn. Of course, the doctor and his companions are there as witnesses and that sort of thing. While there is no hard proof against Quinn, it doesn't look good for him. And as this trial is going on, Lesterson interrupts the proceedings with this great pronouncement that things are going well with his experiments, and what does he wheel in but an operational Dalek? Uh, Yeah. And it's, you know, of course the doctor is completely panicked about this. He's like, this is not good. Even without the gun. Even without its gun, this needs to be destroyed. And then the Dalek speaks. And it speaks the same phrase over and over and over again, which is really creepy. We are your servants. Yes. (laughs) I am your servant. (laughs) I am your servant. Yes. I am your servant. And that's where that episode ends. That's the cliffhanger that that episode ends on, which I think was really good. Um, I have to I have to ask you something here in a little while. Uh, yeah, but it, it portrays it, it's the portrayal of, of the Daleks in this story arc. Uh, but keep going. The governor and Lesserson talk about how the Daleks could be a, uh, a benefit to the colony. They could help with the mining and that sort of thing. Uh, the doctor is very much against all of this. And, you know, when nobody listens to him, he... He walks up to the Dalek and says, You are our servants, yes? Uh, yes, Ali, I am your servant. You will obey everything I tell you, yes? I am your servant. Mm. Fine. Immobilize yourself. <laughs> and, it, and it says nothing. <laughs> it says nothing. And, you know, the eye stalk and the sucker arm go limp. 
And the doctor storms out of the room. He's very upset. There and then, is, of course, the Dalek wakes back up when he leaves. There is <laughs> one thing that happened in this one scene, though. And uh, I just happened to remember it. When the Dalek comes into the room, it looks directly at the doctor as if it recognizes who he is. Yeah. And Ben yes. catches on it, catches on to it immediately. He's like, it knows you. It knows who you are. It knows who you are. You know? Yep. <laughs> yep. Which sort of helps Ben, <laughs> yeah. you know, come to grips with the fact that this has to be the doctor. And here's the weird part, though. If it knows who the doctor is, doesn't that mean that the Dalek either has to be from the doctor's future or has some kind of data about different incarnations of the doctor prior to just being? a biometric scan? You think so? You know, cause, and that's how they identify the doctor, you know, and some of the other times that his new incarnation meets the Daleks is they, they scan him, you know, okay. They scan him and say, okay, you are the doctor. You know, they just have his biometric data, you know, in their files or whatever. It's fun to speculate. Well, you got to take that away from me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Once the doctor leaves, the Dalek wakes back up and, you know, says that it, it cannot serve the colony properly if it is immobilized and will listen only to Lesterson. Quinn then admits that he was the one who sent for the examiner because, you know, he wanted the examiner to help deal with the rebel uprising. And that is why he should not be tried as being a rebel saboteur. Bregan is completely against Quinn and says that Quinn did it to undermine the governor's authority Mm-hmm. and is, in fact, in league with the rebels. Uh, the governor then orders Quinn to be imprisoned. Oh, and Bregan, you get to be deputy governor now. Because nobody saw that coming, right? Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you say Palpatine? <laughs> right? Working his way up the ladder? Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> The Doctor is now determined to deal with the Daleks. Polly really wants to divert their attention to help Quinn because she believes he's innocent. Then he leaves them to go crash Lesterson's lab to deal with Lesterson. Lesterson is putting the Dalek through a bunch of intelligence tests, which the Daleks, of course, because Daleks are incredibly intelligent, uh, passing all of them with flying colors. The doctor says he simply wants to just observe the experiments, uh, but keeps managing to work his way closer and closer to the power control panels. Janley receives a phone call and leaves, so it's just the doctor and Lesterson... And the Lesterson is so engrossed with how well his Daleks are doing uh, that he doesn't notice that the doctor slips a device that he made onto the panel and switch it on, and the power starts to overload the Dalek. And the Dalek starts losing control. Lesterson destroys the device, kicks the doctor out of his lab. As the doctor is leaving the lab, the Dalek's gun emplacement starts clicking as it's, you know, 
as if it's trying to shoot him on his way out. Right. But of course, it doesn't have its gun anymore. So yeah, that that's nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Lesterson doesn't notice. All right, I'm I'm going to put this in here now. This is what I was talking about before. Am I the only one, or did you notice this too, that the Daleks were portrayed in a much more serious tone in this storyline than they were in some of the previous ones? Yeah, yeah, they they definitely are. They're the way, and we'll see more of this as it goes. Mm-hmm. But they're manipulative. They're devious. The yeah. doctor's reaction to them is that they are extremely powerful. Uh, and when they first see the one missing Dalek, he says that's all that they need to wipe out this colony. You know, right, right. His reactions to them, plus the actions of the Daleks themselves, really elevates their threat level. Uh, because in some of the other ones, like uh, the Dalek invasion of Earth and the chase... Yeah, the chase especially. Uh, they, you know... They're a threat, but they're not, like, dire, deadly threat. And not only that, there were little things in there that, even though they, they, they were played as a threat and everything, they still used them to create some humorous spots in those story arcs. And this one, I didn't see anything like that. It was, no. def- it was most definitely, like, these guys are deadly we're going to show you that they're deadly and we're not going to play around with this. You know, it was very different in tone. I think when it came to that, uh, definitely. And we'll see more of that here as we, as we continue, uh, Janley is actually the phone call she got was to meet Bregan in secret. Janley is actually one of the rebel leaders and is in league with Bregan, who is now of course the deputy governor. And Janley believes that the Daleks gun, stick can be the tool that the rebels need in order to overthrow the governor right. and take control of the colony. Which, you know, and, if you think about it, as far as devious plans go, that's not a bad idea, you know. Right. Right. Uh, she really reveals, you know, this is where we officially, you know, learn that Resno is actually dead, you know, wants Lesterson to think he's just sick uh, so that they can hold his continued experiments over his head as blackmail should they should that come to it did you get the impression that uh raven uh, wanted her to be more to him than just his accomplice i kind of got that creepy vibe off of him it's in a couple of places mm, uh, kind i don't it, know sort of I, like I you know i'm glad you've decided to make this decision you know and kind of wink wink nudge nudge you know like because now i can pursue you later on kind of thing you know that's kind of the vibe i got off of him kind of creepy stalker vibe you know i don't know maybe (laughs) Maybe. it's kind of hard to tell when you can't see them moving around and stuff you don't see the body language and everything but the inflections the inflections of his voice in a couple of places and stuff kind of led me to feel that way maybe Uh, that that would be something i'd have to go back and re-listen to but especially with what Bregan does later on in the story arc. I'm not sure romantic entanglements uh, would necessarily be something he'd want to risk. Well, it's not uh, something that he would necessarily have allowed to get in the way either, though, if he was thinking in those terms. Right. Because of the type of character that he is. 
Polly and Ben have decided to go find the doctor. They've split up. Ben is going to wait back at their quarters. Polly's continuing to look around the colony. She runs into Janley, and Janley directs Polly to the control room where one of her rebel accomplices, Valmar, uh, is waiting for her. They Together they drug Polly, and Valmar takes Polly and the gun stick, the Dalek gun stick, away. Uh, they're going to hold Polly as leverage over the examiner, and of course he's going to experiment with the gun stick to find out how they can put it to use. Ben, you know, gets worried about uh, Polly's absence, of course, but the doctor is too distracted with the Daleks to really give a lot of thought to it, and Ben is forced to basically drag the doctor off to go report. Polly's missing, mm-hmm. you know, to the authorities. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the lab, uh, <laughs> Lesterson is, <laughs> you know, completely delighted with the incredible, you know, curiosity and the breadth of knowledge of the Daleks. Uh, the Dalek really wants to know what some of this equipment is for. Well, this helps us to plot the course of following falling asteroids, you know, so that we can know, you know, where not to be and it helps keep us safe. Right. It's 70% effective. Well, we Daleks can make it 100% effective. We just need all of this equipment to do that with. Right. Uh, oh, you can? That would be amazing. It would be safe and it would save us time and money. You know, we would be able to not have to keep rebuilding things. Let's, we'll yeah. do that. That would be amazing. And Lesterson rushes off to go inform the governor of this amazing news, and then the Dalek is left in the lab by itself. It um, increases the flow of power from the generator and goes into the capsule. Yeah. <laughs> so this is where we really start seeing the the game that the Daleks are playing. Because one Dalek, you know turns into three Daleks. Right. (laughs) Uh, The Doctor and Ben, on their way to report Polly's disappearance, uh, spot Lesterson leaving his lab, and the Doctor says, well, let's take this opportunity and go see where he's at. They see the the cable leading from the generator into the capsule, and the unarmed Dalek that, you know, Lesterson is experimenting on tells them, you know, to stop, leave, go away. The Doctor and Ben try to short-circuit the cable, but two reinvigorated and armed Daleks emerge from the capsule, causing the Doctor and Ben to flee, of course. (laughs) Of course, the first thing you expect to come out of their mouths is, Exterminate! You know, (laughs) but that doesn't happen. They don't. They don't really say much <laughs> no. at that point. I don't think so. Uh, but then they they talk to each other, and they are going to try and use the machinery that they're going to get to build to pulse static electricity throughout the entire colony to make Vulcan like a, a second Scarrow, so they can you know move around and all that stuff uh, like they did back on Scarrow. The Doctor has burst in on Lesterson and the Governor and demands once more that the Daleks be destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the... It's like, 
Tick, tick. In case you can't tell what I'm doing, it's a broken record, you know? <laughs> it's a broken record. The governor refuses because the Daleks will be beneficial to the colony, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, at, at this point, they've tuned him completely out. Yes. <laughs> they think he's crazy. You know, with the wild eyes and stuff that he's got, I could see why they might think that. <laughs> right. Right. He's very ve- he's vehement very, and... Very animated, too. Uh, you know... Uh, yeah, compared to the previous incarnation, right? <laughs> uh, the governor and Lesterson leave, and the doctor and Ben end up talking with Bergen, Bregan, Bregan. Sorry, not Bergen, Bregan. Not the brigadier, not the brigadier, <laughs> Bregan. Definitely not the brigadier. Uh, he comes later. <laughs> he comes later, and he's a lot nicer. Um, and Bregan sort of insinuates that the doctor really isn't the examiner. Yeah. And the doctor says, you're right. I'm not. The only way I can prove, but the only way that, you know, that can be proven is to find the murderer of the original examiner. Uh, the Bregan decides, I'm not going to say anything now. Yeah. If you leave the Daleks alone. So the doctor and Ben end up back at the room where they have a, basically, uh, a note saying we have Polly leave the Daleks alone. Um, <laughs> so that's always, you know, fun. it can't be the guy that gets kidnapped and put in peril, right? It's always got to be the girl. Always got to be the girl. <laughs> um, well, it, at least until Rory came, you know, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, uh, another doctor, another time. Right. <laughs> right. The this episode ends with Lesterson back in his lab with the Daleks. Uh he's informing them that the Daleks will get the materials and additional power that they wanted. The Daleks begin to chant, We will get our power, we will get our power, you know. Yeah. And then he turns down the power from the generator and says, Ha, huh, you will get your power, but remember I'm the one in control now. And the Daleks assure him, we, you know, we will be obedient. You are our master. We are your servants. We are your servants. You know? Yep. Yep. And so he turns the power back up. He's like, oh, that's great. That's very wonderful. You know, the governor is now going to go on a tour of the, the perimeter of the colony to try and make sure that everything is okay. Bregan is loving this because he gets to use the governor's office. Mm. You can see where this is going. Yeah. Later on, Lesterson is getting a little bit concerned because the Daleks keep requesting more and more supplies. Much more than he assumed, than the blueprints for the, the new... Uh, asteroid detecting scanner would take much more. Right. And so he's getting concerned. He doesn't know what's going on. The Daleks seem to getting getting more and more autonomous. And so he wants to talk to the doctor about it or to the examiner about it. Janley warns him to keep his mouth shut and blackmails him using Resno's death. Meanwhile, the doctor and Ben show up asking about Polly. You know, the doctor warns Lesterson about the fact that the Daleks aren't just machines, they're not just robots, they're engineers and could be very powerful. Uh, Lesterson 
you know, starts to see what's going on and is very shocked by this and, and passes out. Um, Janley then uses that to her advantage, set, calls in a guard and says that the doctor and Ben attacked Lesterson and they have to escape. The doctor manages to find out uh, about the rebel meeting going on later that night. He and Ben get there early in order to conceal themselves in the room to find yeah. out what's going on. Don't they hide in a cabinet or something? In a cabinet, behind a bookcase, something like that. It's hard to tell exactly. Um, and we'll get more into and, and after we get through the, the story, we can talk about the the reconstructions uh, that we had to watch right. in and of themselves here in a minute. But the rebels uh, who are being led by Jan Lee and Valmar, who you know kidnapped Polly, are taking orders from a man hiding in the shadows, and you know present a Dalek to the you know the other rebels got gathered around as you know the thing that will help them take control. When someone asks, well, what about the examiner? They mention that they're holding Polly, you know, as leverage, which causes Ben to, you know, start and reveal he and the doctor's presence there. And both of them get taken away. Uh, the doctor, the doctor is taken away by Bregan, who is the man hiding in the shadows, mm-hmm. you know, under arrest officially for conspiring with the rebels Right. And Ben has been taken away by the rebels themselves. And Janling. And uh, this so they're is all when, separated. This is when the doctor gets locked up with Quinn, correct? Correct. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh is this isn't this the point where Lesterson uh realizes what the Daleks are doing? Yeah. He wakes up in his lab, you know, finds out that, you know, notices that the Daleks are basically running everything themselves now. Mm-hmm. He sneaks into the capsule and stumbles across a Dalek assembly line. This And they are mass-producing. Now, I, I can see where they're mass-producing their suits. I can see that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exactly show how they're mass-producing the Daleks inside the suits. Well, um, I would since have, we saw, you know, I would assume we saw some the, kind of cloning process or something involved in that. I would assume so, but since we saw the the Dalek mutant scuttling around earlier, mm-hmm. I, I'd assume they'd have some. You know, there's obviously one that's still alive and scuttling about, right? Uh, so I'd assume they'd have some way of either replicating or maybe they're you know there's more of them. You know, in another, you know, in stasis in, or something. In, in jars. <laughs> in jars and stasis, you know, waiting to be put into their suits. Um, and, of course, Lesterson is, you know, finally sees the, the magnitude of the mistake that he's I just, made. I just had a, I just had a thought. <laughs> I, I, I just had a thought of, of uh, one of the Daleks being pulled out of one of those jars. And, uh, and uh, he looks at the one in the suit and he says... It took you long enough, old man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Took you long enough, old man. <laughs> for the for for you guys that didn't catch that, that's that's 
directly back to the trailer uh, yes. for, for season nine. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Those those weird things just pop into my head. <laughs> yeah. That's that's funny. Uh, oh. Lesterson is, of course, you know. <laughs> completely shocked, dismayed. He needs to talk to the doctor, find the doctor, tell him what's going on. The Daleks, you know, emerge, start to emerge from the capsule, and he leaves his lab in a panic. The doctor has already noticed that there's more than three Daleks moving around the city. Mm -hmm. And the Daleks know that this is the case and make... Are, are, are you know making provision for that? No more than three Daleks need to be can be seen at any one time at any one place in the city, so as to not raise suspicion. Now, wasn't uh, one of these Daleks uh, a black Dalek? I don't recall. I'm, I'm trying Maybe. to remember. I was looking I at some of the photos earlier, and I was thinking that I saw one that was I a don't black Dalek. Think so, but I could be wrong. You look here. La 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 la. I don't see it right now. Okay, on the Wikipedia page, uh, there's one that's black. Okay. Um, the Wikipedia page for Power of the Daleks? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, I don't think so. They may just be shadows. It's there was either, a lot of shadows. It's either really dark shadows or it's, or it's black. I can't, I can't really tell. It's probably just black, just uh, shadows, but it looks black from, from this angle. So it, I think I think it's just shadows. There's a lot of of shadows in in some of these episodes. I was just wondering if it was in some way connected with some of the other black Dalek sightings that we'd seen. I don't think so. I think we have just you know generic Daleks here. The prison that the Doctor is is locked in with uh, Quinn is locked by a sonic key, which emits a noise. That causes the lock to unlock or lock. And so, as soon as he is able, the doctor starts trying to replicate said sound. First, he uses, you know, a glass with water to try and hit the right pitch, but it's not working right. Uh, he, Quinn is, he, he needs a sonic screwdriver. He needs a sonic screwdriver, but <laughs> he doesn't have one yet. Um, he gets that later. Quinn is, is, you know, they're having discussion about what's really going on and how Quinn is the one that actually sent for the examiner and the doctor i believe admits to quinn that he's not really the real examiner but the doctor keeps messing with this glass and water and quinn's like what are you doing and then finally he he reveals what he's trying to do but it's not working so they ask for more water and they get more water but that still doesn't work and so the doctor has to pull out his recorder and he starts playing his recorder and quinn's door opens and Quinn is able to subdue the guard and get the key, and he and the doctor escape. This is, of course, after Lesterson has burst in. Yeah. Lesterson is going crazy at this point. He's freaking Lesterson. out. Lesterson is freaking out. He's lost his mind, kind of. He's getting a little nuts. Um, well, he goes further than that later. Yeah, he's panicking at this point, uh, and you know. So the doctor knows everything that's going on. The Daleks have been working with Bregan at, you know, setting up stuff in the city. They're running cables throughout the city in order to set up their <clears throat> static pulse that's going to be able to, you know, give them static electricity no matter where they go. But see, this is what I don't really understand is, 
you know, I, I get the fact that they prefer to run on static electricity, but they can obviously run on another power supply. Why? I wonder why it's so important to them that it has to be static electricity. I mean, because that way they won't have to keep recharging, I think is what it is. Okay. Uh, it's a continuous charge as they go across the static. You know, they have to go back and recharge and that sort of I, I think I could well, be wrong. I mean, it, I it's, think it's obvious that they eventually get to the point where they don't have a problem with renewable power source of some kind uh, as, mm-hmm. as the years go by. Uh, but I just was wondering really if it was just something that they were just set in their ways about and they just felt it had to be that way because that's the way the Daleks are or if there was actually another legitimate reason for that. I'm not sure exactly. I, I think it's more uh, this is where they are in their advancement at this point still mm-hmm. and it's how they were doing things back on Scaro. Yeah. And this seems to be sort of a, a <laughs> capsule that's kind of been almost Wait. plucked out of time. It's We've been... never done it that way before (laughs) (laughs) this capsule it's it's unclear how long this capsule has been on vulcan well they know this could have been they could be um uh of the old school i guess mindset of the daleks before the daleks started to overcome the issues with power in the first place Right, it could have been, you know, sort of a, a space exploration sort of thing, and they mm-hmm. ended up crashing instead of landing and that sort of thing, and it's been there for a while. Uh, I think that's kind of the idea. The governor has now returned to the colony after, you know, being out on the perimeter, to, and he comes back to, you know, take control, and Bregan is basically running the colony from the governor's desk. The governor is very full of himself, too. Uh, He's very full of himself. Yes, very. And so he doesn't take too kindly when Bregan refuses to give up (coughs) the governor's desk. Hensel calls for the guards, but oh wait, Bregan was the security chief before he became the deputy governor, and now the the guards are all in his pocket. And so he basically makes himself governor. He creates martial law. He creates martial law. And kills the governor mm-hmm. with a Dalek. So now Bregan is the governor. He's no longer the deputy governor. He reminds me a little bit uh, of uh, Mavic Chen uh, <laughs> in his pursuit for power. Uh, not in his personality, but in his pursuit for power, his ambition. Mm. You know, The doctor and Quinn have returned to the laboratory and, you know... Are, are able to you know try and figure out what's going on. Polly has been moved to the laboratory for safekeeping by the Daleks. Uh, the Doctor and Quinn are able to rescue Polly and you know race out of the lab before the Daleks are able to you know stop them, and they are able to to seal the doors for a short time. The Doctor basically sticks a, a spanner between the the handles of the two doors to keep them closed. And now the stages are set basically. For war, almost the the rebels yeah. think that they're on the verge of taking over. Bregan has revealed himself to just be power hungry and not actually in league with the rebels. Now that he has the governorship and he's got the guards, then we have the Daleks who are wanting to take over for their own purposes. Oh, and then there's Quinn, the Doctor, Polly, and Ben caught in the middle. It's, of it. it's the battle of four armies. <laughs> <laughs> 
basically. <laughs> Only the doctor's army is like six people. <laughs> right. <laughs> the final episode is is a lot of battle sequences mm-hmm. uh, with the doctor and his group trying to convince some of the rebels to join up with them. And many of them start doing that. Uh, of course, there's a, a slaughter on all sides as yeah. the Daleks start getting involved. The Daleks pretended like they were going to help the rebels, and then they actually uh, they went and used the rebels to get them to a position where they could wipe out all of the governor's men, at least the ones that were in the area. Then they turned on the rebels as soon as the governor's men were taken care of and wiped them out. They're yes. very tricky in this in this story arc. Bragan is trying to convince Janley that you know she should side with him. She plays along in order to not get killed. See, this is where I got the creepy stalker vibe from him is because wow. I kind of got the the impression like he was saying, "I'm glad you chose to side with me because, you know, now you can rule by my side kind of thing, but had you not chosen to do so, I would be just as easily, you know, swayed to kill you kind of right. thing." Bragan is, you know, continuing to stir up trouble by announcing over loudspeakers that the governor has been murdered by the rebels, and that's why he's taken control and, you know, imposed martial law. Janley and one of the other rebels named Valmar have gone back to the lab because they have these uh, these control things that, that they've used to control the, the Daleks in their experiment, uh, their, their demonstration at the meeting earlier. And they try and, you know, reassert control over this group of Daleks in order to use them to help the rebels. Uh, but, of course, you know, that doesn't work. The Daleks are, are on the loose again. Lesterson has completely lost his mind. At this point, he's gone from being like Victor Frankenstein to being like Renfield in Dracula. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's yeah. it's literally he's gotten to that point. You almost expect him to start eating bugs and stuff. It's it's really weird, right? Lester you know? says, you know, well, the the Daleks are now the supreme, you know, beings on this planet, and humans stand no chance. And so we should just be in awe and amazed at the supreme, essentially the supreme evolution of, right. of the beings on this planet. Yeah, but he, he kind of you know offhandedly <laughs> mentions this cable that Valmar rigged up inside the capsule that powered the rebel base. Um, the doctor needs to find Valmar now. Quinn saves Valmar. Janley is murdered by a Dalek. You know, we kind of mm-hmm. didn't see a good end for her in all of this, did we? She had a change um, of heart at the end of it, but it was too little too late at that point. Right. Valmar is able to tell the doctor where the cable is, and the doctor needs to go and do something with that. Uh, he needs more time, and so he sends Quinn to find Bragan to make a distraction. And basically, Bregan, basically, Quinn says to him, "I need you to call as many of your guards in here as possible, so that they can draw the Daleks to them." Right, uh, because the Dal- he's lost all control. You know, his his brief moment of control and power. Right. And the colony is completely slipped through his fingers. The only thing Bregan, he still has control of is that handful of guards, and that's it. Right. Bregan kind of decides to go along and agree with Quinn. The doctor is able to find the junction box with the cable that he needs to, sal- to sabotage the Daleks' static power. 
Uh, because at this point, they finally just switched over. Uh, Lesterson gives his life to, you know, distract the Daleks while the Doctor overloads the power on the, the static pulse cable, destroying the Daleks, wrecking havoc throughout the entire colony. Yeah, this this was an interesting part for me because uh, Lesterson, uh, when when the he, he tells the Daleks, I'm trying to help you, and they say, why do we need your help? And he turns their own on them, and he says, because I am your servant. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need you, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, but since the, Do- the Daleks are destroyed, Bregan tries to, to seize this opportunity to kill Quinn and reassert his control over the colony when he is shot by the rebel Valmar. Mm-hmm. So now Bregan is dead. For which we can all be glad. Kill um, him with fire. <laughs> he was not a nice man. No, he's not a nice man. Quinn uh, <laughs> not only got his deputy governor reinstated, but he was made governor. He's now in charge of the colony. You know the the remnants of both the rebels and the original colony mm-hmm. uh, citizenry are having to work together now. The Doctor is very pleased that he was able to stop the Daleks and save the colony, although Quinn is still upset because they've basically destroyed the colony's power supply. It's going to take months to repair. And And the Doctor's like, perhaps we should get out of here before they try to send us the bill. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so the Doctor, Polly, and Ben sneak back to the TARDIS. Um... And they're, you know, Ben and Polly are going, Doctor, what you did with the Dalek back there, did you really know it was going to work? Of course, the Dalek doesn't, the Dalek. <laughs> I did it again. That's like the third episode I've done that. Um, Dr. Dalek. <laughs> but of course, the Doctor neither confirms nor denies. Uh, classic that, Doctor. Uh, classic Doctor. <laughs> He starts they, humming and then starts just walking off, you know. <laughs> starts playing his recorder. Um, there is a there is a destroyed Dalek by the TARDIS, and they're you know he gives one last look to it as if you know they're you know as he's able to fly off like ha I beat you, and as the TARDIS dematerializes, the Dalek's eye stalk slowly looks up, watching the TARDIS depart. Mm-hmm. And that's where it ends. I hope Yay. the doctor. Uh, I hope the doctor refilled his uh, reserve of mercury for the fluid link in case he ever needs it again. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did I'm, you? Did you catch the parallel there uh, with the first Dalek story? Mm, <laughs> clever, clever. That's not like he could get away with that this that uh, <laughs> that scheme on on Vulcan. <laughs> no. <laughs> so there we go. That's uh, the first Dalek story arc of Patrick Troughton's tenure as the Doctor, as the second Doctor. What'd you think overall? I enjoyed the story uh, a lot. I, I thought that the story was well written. I thought that the, the portrayal of the Daleks was very well done. Because they should be that 
dark, menacing presence. They shouldn't be clown caricatures of themselves, you know. When I when I see an episode with the Daleks in it, I want them to be that menacing, you know, creepy, conniving, you know, uh, manipulative, hateful villain that they're supposed to be. You know, um, it, it just it adds a whole nother level to the story in my in my in my mind, and and, and it's okay uh, to put a couple of comedic things in there just to get a a chuckle every once in a while, but you Mm -hmm. you shouldn't do it at the detriment of the characters like that, at least in in my mind. Right. Um, As much as I thoroughly enjoyed, like for example, the chase Mm. um, and, and the way that you, you got to see some of the, you know, funny little things that happened to some of the Daleks and stuff. You like know. the one running off the side of the boat. It's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> ah, sploosh. Smash. <laughs> and you know when the top half comes off of that thing, it's gone. It's not yep. coming back, you know? <laughs> right. But, uh, and, oh, and we forgot to point out, we actually got to see photographs of the top half of the Daleks being assembled to the bottom half after the little tiny Daleks were put on the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was kind of neat. I wish we actually got to see that in motion, but we did not. Right. right. I will say this. This is a story arc in my mind that would really benefit from an animated version. Yes. Uh, I would watch it even if it was if all of the episodes were completely animated because you and I talked about this before we, we got started uh, a little bit. I was having a hard time focusing in on this story arc when I was watching it because the the resources that they have as far in the you know as far as photos and that sort mm-hmm. of thing is concerned it seems like they didn't have nearly as much in the way of, of photo snaps to make this reconstruction as they did with some of the others that we've seen right uh, and there was a lot going on and of course Patrick Chapman is a much more physical doctor than William Hartnell is and so a lot of what the, the doctor does is very physical and doesn't require the explanations uh, that Hartnell would tend to give as he did things. Like I said, um, like Tennant and, and Smith would be. Right. He just sort of, Troughton just sort of does it. And there was a lot of times where, you know, we'd get the description bar that would go across. And there were some scenes where it was just like one after another after right. another as we right. had like maybe two or three <laughs> pictures right. to, you know sort of give us an idea of what was going on the story itself seems fascinating and on paper it looks really good mm-hmm. um, it looks really good but watching it it was really hard to focus because of of the amount of work it took to took to, to, to take it all in I, I think you're right if they were willing to do that make a completely, completely fully animated official BBC release of oh, Power of the dude, Daleks. With the animation... Uh, I would be first in line to buy know, it. With, with the technology and everything they've got today, they could do some very high-quality animation for this thing, and it would just... It would really be awesome. I mean, they could even go as far... With the technology that they have today, literally, they could go as far as to take photographic realistic images of the actors and actresses that played in this thing and create 
real 3D models that look almost identical to those and make them almost look like a live action, uh, you know, story. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that's the kind of technology we've come to now. And, you know, I really feel like that I know that they want to keep it respectful and everything to, to the original material and to the original actors and things like that. But, you know, I really don't think that would be disrespectful as long as you are paying, you know, true homage to those those actors, mm-hmm. you know. I, keep, you know, keep the, the, if there was, you know, sort of a, a bump in the set or, you know, some, right. a set piece wiggles as you, you know, brush past or something like that, keep that stuff in there. Right. You know, keep the soundtrack, because the soundtrack is there. You know, the with all the sound effects and exactly. the, the walking, and the you know you can hear all the the actors thumping around on the the plywood and the the foam and that sort of thing that they use to build these sets. You know, keep all that there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, keep the sets as minimalistic as they were for the episodes. You know, that sort of thing. Don't go overboard with it. But I think because some of these some of these missing episodes are really good. And, yeah, you, know, you we, when we talked about you know the Daleks' master plan, some of those, especially the the latter half of that, was so good. Oh yeah, um, and so I think seeing that in a visual representation would really be beneficial, and I think you'd get more attention, you know, from some of the newer fans going. Hey, we've got these new releases, you know, previously lost episodes are being remade in this animated form and get, you know, a stylized or really high quality animation company right um to take care of this. Of course, you know, keep They the could even make it in color too. White. I mean, doesn't I no, you know, I would if it's first or they if could, it's the first they or second do, doctor keep it in black and white. They could do they could do either or. They could do like a color version and a black and white version, put it on a DVD and you watch whichever one you want to watch, you know, that kind of thing. No, I think if you're going to do the first or second doctor, you need to keep it black and white because those, those doctors were in black and white. I think putting it in color is, is too much. Uh, One of the DVDs I have uh, of the second doctor is is the moon base. Mm. And that's uh, a story arc with two missing episodes. And those two episodes have been animated, and they are in black and white, which I think works. I think works really well. Um, I think if you do it that way, if you you know pay good respect to the the sets, the costumes, the the production value that was right. being used at the time, I think if you keep it in black and white, because that's how we saw these, you know, back in the day, I think it would be fine. You know, I know the BBC oh. doesn't like to to completely animate some of these things, right? But I was just thinking I would in really terms, like to see this. I was just thinking in terms of like what new fans, new, new Who fans might expect versus what classic Who fans might expect. You know, a, a, a fan of New Who might be more interested in watching the story if it was in color. That's all I was thinking. You know, they might, but since all of the the live action clips and stories that we have Mm -hmm. that have survived from Hartnell and Troughton are in black and white. It would be Uh, fine to me to watch it in black and white, you know. It would be really jarring to all of a sudden have it in color. To me, I don't think it would feel right. 
to have that in color. Um, and it's really crazy that the, that they're in black and white to begin with, considering that there was lots of color TV back at that point, you know? Uh, right. Well, they, that was one they, way that they kept the cost down. Yeah, they did it to the save show. on the budget, basically. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and it didn't take away from it for me. I mean, I actually like it in black and white. I'm just thinking in terms of the fans of the new who uh, stuff, you know. I mean, if if the rest of it's going to be in black and white, I think they're just going to have to learn that the new animated <laughs> stuff, if they did it, will have to be in black and white, too. Uh, and that's part of the thing, I think, for the, the Doctor Who fans that want to go back and want to, you know, basically research if you will, the classic who era, mm-hmm. that's just something you kind of expect and accept when you get right. to Hartnell and Troughton is it's just going to be in black and white. You just got to, you know, deal with that. That's just how it is. Um, well, see, I've heard people in the past talk about how they think they should colorize all the black and white, you know, episodes and all that kind of stuff. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I'm not going to say that I wouldn't be curious to see what it would look like. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't think it's necessary, you know. I don't think it's necessary either. Um, I think mm, I think the only way I think the only way that it would be beneficial is if you did every single episode of those doctors that way from the beginning. And that would be a mm-hmm. lot of work, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a lot of work whenever <laughs> whenever the new form of, of home entertainment media comes out after blu-ray maybe they can consider doing that but <laughs> uh, but no i don't think that's that would be a lot of work and i don't think that's going to happen um, no. I at mean, least not on a mass scale but it's not necessary to do it either i mean it, no they're fine the way they are you know right uh all that to say though it it was this story is it's intense a bit when you you know look at the daleks and how really in control and really intimidating they are and reading it tonight was almost more impactful Mm -hmm. than the amount of work I had to put into keeping up with and focusing on watching the reconstructions um, well if there's a story if there's anything at all that's distracting in the room at all I, I had to go back and rewind it. Well, not, you know, you don't rewind digital, but you know, I had to go back and, and, you know, back it up, you know, 30 seconds, a minute, something like that, just so that I wouldn't lose track of what was going on. And because there was so much action going on that you only got from, from writing on the screen, you know? Right. Right. And, um, Quinn, Bregan and the governor, whose name is Hensel, I just left his name out during the the re- recap because uh, that's just another name that's going to be hard to remember. Um, <laughs> but Bregan, Quinn, and Hensel, the first two episodes, I kept mixing up who was who mm-hmm. watching the episodes. It took, you know, longer as, you know, we got to, you know, see more of the, their story, what, right. what they were doing um, during the episodes to really help me differentiate who was who. But at the beginning, I kept mixing them up. I, who was Quinn? Who was Reagan? Who was Hensel? I, I had no idea. And, you know, it was so it was really difficult to, to 
keep up with it at, at times. I think part of it had to do with the change in the writing style as well. And what I mean by that is this. When I was watching a lot of the first Doctor episodes, because even when you were watching one that was in complete live action, there's a lot of exposition and things that go on in those. It it mm-hmm. all it almost feels like that you could close your eyes a lot of times and just listen to it, and it would be like you were experiencing an audio drama because they're explaining so much to you while the action and stuff is going on on screen. Mm-hmm. And so when you're watching a reconstruction of that versus with this, there's there's not that same, you know, feeling of we're explaining everything to you as we go. Once you right. get to this story arc, you're, you're really just trying to follow what you see on screen because you don't have nearly as much of that expository storytelling style as what you have mm-hmm. in the first doctor storylines. Um, and, and I think that that is their way of making the show more and more and more contemporary as you go, because you're, you're coming out of that, that era of like uh, classic radio and things like that. And that kind of carries over. I, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but it kind of carries over uh, into earlier TV because they're so mm-hmm. used to telling stories on the radio. They kind of carry that style over somewhat into the TV shows, even though you're looking at everything, it's still told in such a way that it almost feels like that you're still listening to classic radio sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as TV progressed and became more and more and more contemporary and more and more like it is now, you got more and more away from that t- that style of storytelling. And so that, because of watching it as a reconstruction now, that kind of hinders your ability to to focus 100% on what's going on because they, they have started changing to tell the stories a little bit more like they're telling them now, you know? Right. A little less exp- uh, exposition and a little more uh, show and tell. Right. If you will. And it's even increased even more uh, in the last couple of three seasons because the show is becoming more and more and more and more movie-like as it goes uh, into... Uh, the the later years. Well, uh, any other final thoughts on the power of the Daleks before we wrap this up? I really, like I said, I really enjoyed the story. Uh, I I wish we could have gotten a little bit more clearer style of seeing it, and I really hope that one day they decide to go back and do an animated version of this because it would definitely be one that would be on my list to get. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's this this story uh, actually the way that this story unfolded and everything reminded me of the World War Two episodes a lot in uh, the new the new who series mm-hmm. uh, where where the Daleks were sneaking around making everybody think that they were working for us, but they had their own agenda going on in the background. It was very similar to that in my mind when I was when I was watching this it. I, I drew a lot of parallels there. Yeah, um, yeah, and which is, which is fitting because Matt Smith drew heavily on Patrick Troughton for his characterization of the right. Um, and and I, you know, going back and or seeing this and then and then relating that back to the Matt Smith uh, episodes, 
I, I really want to go back now and watch those those Matt Smith episodes again because I really and truly believe that you can see things in there going back and watching them after experiencing this that you wouldn't have noticed the first time uh, because you'll be able to see how he is thinking back to what happened before and mm. see see different things that you maybe didn't pick up on the first time because you hadn't experienced this the first time. Gotcha. Out of 10 Daleks, how many Daleks would you give this, and would you recommend it to your fellow Whovians? I would definitely recommend it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm, going, <laughs> I'm going to rate the story of this uh, like an eight and a half. Ooh. I'm going to rate the visual depiction of this at like maybe a four. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, because it, it was very difficult to follow in certain places. And like I said, I had to go back two and three and sometimes four times in certain scenes just to make sure I knew exactly what was going on. And when you have to do that, it takes you out of the story. You know, right. You really don't want that to happen. You really want to be able to stay in the story and experience this, you know, and kind of imagine like you're in the universe while this is going on. I mean, you obviously, you know, you're not, but you want to have that feeling that you are, you know, you want to be able to connect, connect to it emotionally and every, everything else. And when you're having to go back and say, well, what just happened? Well, wait a minute, what just happened? You know, mm-hmm. you lose that quality and, and it takes away from the storytelling at that point. So that's the reason I'm going to, I'm going to rate it that way. That's actually a good way to rate it. Uh, because like the, <laughs> go on Amazon or eBay. And I, I didn't double check this, but the, there should be a novelization mm-hmm. of this story arc out there. An old novelization, pick that up and read that to get the story. And if you really want to try and sit down and watch this, then find the reconstructions um, is my is my recommendation. Uh, I believe you can actually get an audio drama of this as well, if I'm not mistaken. There probably some. I'm sure some of these missing episodes um, have just audio versions where uh, stuff that you know can't be explained with the the actual dialogue from the movie is is narrated. Um, I believe that is the case. Um, so look around, and if you want to, uh, there are probably better ways to uh, partake of this story than the reconstructions that we watched. Um, the reconstructions are rough with this story arc. And Not in every one of them. Some of them are pretty well done. Some of them are pretty well done, but at points, there are, there are some of them that are very, very minimal and unhelpful with, with the, what they had to work with to help explain what was going on. But that being said, I, I will keep myself from cheating. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead, cheat. It's not going to bother no, me. No, <laughs> no. In balancing the, the, the good story with the, the bad reconstruction, the, the, I won't say bad, but the, the limited reconstructions right. that we had available to us. Uh, they did I'm a good job have, with what they had. You know. Yes, uh, but it's just limited in what they had. I'm going to have to give it a balanced out six and a half Daleks. That's fair. Um, now, the next story arc that we're going to review is called The Evil of the Daleks. And apparently, 
back in 1993, it was voted the best Dalek story in a Doctor Who magazine. So, I want to uh, see this. <laughs> let's uh, let's set our expectations high before we even get there. Um, <laughs> no, no. Um, this is this next one that's coming up, and like we said, we we full full on spoilers for these things, guys. So just you know, it is what it is. This next storyline is the first time you get to see the Daleks' supreme emperor on screen. Yes. So. So well, but no more spoilers uh, for the next episode <laughs> until we get there because I thought they um, find that intriguing, you know. Yeah, we will have <laughs> a link to the uh, reconstructions that you can watch for the evil of the Daleks on our Facebook page, uh, which is of course facebook.com slash talking time lords. You can follow us on Twitter at, at talking time lord. On YouTube, we can find us under Talking Time Lords. And, of course, visit TalkingTimeLords.com for your home on the Internet for all things our podcast. Uh, we are available on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher now. Uh, so you can <laughs> find us and get us available on many of your podcatching sources. Please leave us reviews on all of these places. That would help us become a little more visible to fellow Whovians, and if you have other Whovians that enjoy podcasts, make sure you recommend them us to them. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> and guys, uh, just for the record, uh, we do know that there are limited episodes on a lot of outlets. Uh, so if you know somebody that wants to start the show from episode one, uh, they can go to the website and link up to the RSS feed and download that to a regular podcast player and that will download every single episode that they uh, can listen to on their podcast player. And if you subscribe on iTunes um, in your iTunes folder where, you know, in your in your iTunes it will give you the opportunity to download all of our episodes as well. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode, Paul? I just really am looking forward to the next one. <laughs> yes. uh, the, Patrick Troughton only has two da Dalek story arcs, and they're actually in the same season. This was the third story arc of season four, uh, was The Power of the Daleks. You know, we had two story arcs with William Hartnell before the regeneration. And then the final story arc of season four uh, is going to be Evil of the Daleks. So he got all of his Dalek business done early. And there's some interesting <laughs> history about the evil of the Daleks, which I want to read up a little bit more on before I talk about it here on the show. But uh, needless to say, it was originally supposed to be the last time we were ever going to see the Daleks. So Intriguing. Uh, orig originally. Uh, <laughs> until we get to the evil of the Daleks... Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 12, Power of the Daleks Story Review. For Paul, I'm Jason, and until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. We are your servants. You beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts 
or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.